it's JC, the You Made New podcast. Today we're wrapping up our series on confessions of a people pleaser, um, part three. <laughs> I have to say from the start, a lot of times I'll, I'll say when I start an episode, you know, I've been dealing with this or that for the last couple years. This is what I'm doing in my own life. And, and so this is why I'm talking about it and so on. But this one, what we're going to talk about today, I have to be very honest This has been a 15-year journey for me. This is one that has gone very deep into some of those really, really hidden layers of my heart. Um, I hope I can keep my emotions together. This one has been a tough one, but nothing has been more liberating than um, kind of reaching this place internally, in my mind, in my heart, where these things are in me are beginning to be healed. So as we wrap up this series... Um, we're going to take one last look at kind of the umbrella of people pleasing, but one specific type or kind or way, excuse me, way that we do this or way that we can get stuck mentally and how Christ can heal that mental place and, and keep us in a sound and rescued and redeemed state. Now, again, I'm sharing this because I've watched over the last 15 years. I'm not alone. I know I'm not. I've talked to so many women um, and men too. I'm not saying it's just just women, but boy, women, because we're nurturers, this one really rings the bell for us. I have talked to so many others on this subject, the complexities of it. So we're just going to go there again. I know that this is a health coach podcast, but this one affected my mental health almost more than anything else. And so let's dive in. We're going to again kind of referring back to a scripture I've used many, many times in different episodes in 2 Corinthians 10 that talks about the battle that we're fighting is to cast down imaginations or strongholds in our mind, philosophies, ideas, beliefs, false beliefs that have exalted themselves above God, that have controlled our behavior, that dominated us, even if it's in a subconscious way. Um, And that's what this one is today. One of those for me, this is how we're going to outline it. Um, A good girl, you serve, you help, you don't ever say no. And if you do say no, you feel really, really guilty about it because a good Christian always, always says yes. You help, you serve, 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 serve. That was kind of this underlying belief system that I was operating out of. Now, you may think, okay, JC, what's wrong with that? help serve. That's so good. Um, but I struggled with two different things. I, I, one of them was when I did say yes, sometimes I didn't want to, didn't have time to, and I would do it with a resentful heart. Like, Oh my gosh, I don't, I can't deal with this right now, but have to do it. Cause I know I should. So I do it with a terrible attitude. Or on the other hand, if I'd actually say no to someone, I would tear myself up with guilt over, oh, I should have, I should have helped them. I, I could have found a way to fit that in. Can you see the mental craziness, the mental gymnastics that can come if we don't have this um, idea settled in a Christ-like way in our minds? Now, again, I thought the way I believed was a Christ-like way. You, you serve. You just help. That's what he would tell us to do. Serve, help. Don't say no. Get in there. Get involved. Hours and hours of of, of service in many different ways. And again, I can see the benefit in some of that, but this is what we're going to tear into today. I finally found a scripture passage that just blew this out of the water for me. 
and, and made me completely stop short and say, okay, maybe I'm, maybe I haven't been looking at this the right way. Um, it comes from Matthew seven and it's the very end of the sermon on the Mount where Christ is kind of wrapping things up and he takes a little three verse passage where he, he introduces an idea that we are going to, we are going to really take apart. It's Matthew seven verses 21 through 23. The Lord says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my father, which is in heaven. Then he listened to this little, little analogy. He says, you know, many are going to say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. And I will profess unto them. I never knew you depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So a couple quick things about this passage. The first thing we've got to point out is that these are the church people. These are not wicked, harlots, adulterous sinners. You know, these aren't the bottom of the barrel of society, the worst of the worst. These are the good ones, right? The church people, the religious ones, because they come to him and say, look at all the things we've been doing in your name. We've prophesied, we've cast out devils, we've done many wonderful works in your name. They use that phrase in the King James three times. In thy name, we've been working, Lord. And these people come to him truly expecting his praise and his thanks. And he doesn't just, he doesn't just say to them, well, no, you know, thanks, thanks anyway, but you really weren't. He flat out casts them out straight up calls it iniquity again no pat on the shoulder at least you tried i know that you that was a lot of hours of service and you tried in my name it wasn't quite right no flat out i never knew you you're out you're not entering the kingdom and he calls all those wonderful works that they were doing in his name iniquity now what in the world is going on in this passage why would he do that Again, these are the church people. I mean, and here's the biggest question that we all should stop and ask ourselves for just a second. Could it ever be that all these works I've been doing, all of this good service, all the, the try hard moments of trying to throw myself into as much service as I possibly can. Is there even a remote chance that when I see him face to face, he'll look at me and I'll say, Lord, look at all the wonderful works I've done in your name. And he's going to say, I never knew you. That was iniquity. And cast me out. I mean, it doesn't even seem fathom, fathomable, right? Like, no, no. But the, you see, can you see now why we need to look at this? And really start to investigate, okay, what was going on? Now, I think what we have to do, we're going to get into his reasoning in just a minute. But let's just talk for a minute about the motivations that can live quietly and deeply underneath our Christian service. If we're one, oh, I'm always saying yes. I'm always serving. I'm the good one. I'm the star of the congregation. I'm I'm the one in leadership. I'm doing all this stuff. What if underneath the surface, I'm driven by a need to validate myself, to, to prove to others that I'm worthy and I'm righteous. I want everybody to see how righteous I am. And so I'm driven to be the first one at church and the last one to come home and the first one to help and the last one to leave. Because not because of any interest in, in doing it for Christ. I'm doing it because I want to feel better about myself. Again, I'm not doing this consciously, I'm sure. 
But deep down, I really like the accolades that come from being the congregational superhero. I love posting it on Facebook. Again, I'm not saying it's bad to post things on Facebook, but what if your motivation is to get all the likes and the follows of people saying, oh, you're amazing. You're so amazing. Look at that service project you did. And deep, deep down in my heart, I'm doing it to drive up my self-esteem, to feel better about myself, to feel important, to prove that I'm needed, to get that praise and respect and admiration as that, you know, amazing Christian service girl. Could any of those things exist deep, deep under the surface? Now, again, we've talked in other episodes about denial, about how easy it is to go, no, why would, I wouldn't, and that was me. Again, that is why I'm telling you. So I've been so honest in this three-part series about people-pleasing because I would have told you 15 years ago, no, no, no. My motives are pure. And the Lord kind of went, well, let's start looking at this. He took me into a very interesting place that I knew nothing about as I was kind of beginning to see this in myself and beginning to explore it. He took me into the world of codependency, which I knew nothing about. And again, codependency is a tricky word because it started um, decades ago, kind of in the alcoholic realm and it's the spouse of an addict and different meanings, but it's really transformed over the years to a place where we can see for our purposes, we can look at codependency as those who serve and try to fix and save and, and heal everybody else for their own validation. In fact, I'm going to use several quotes from a book um, titled Healing the Codependent Heart. Now, that's a Latter-day Saint resource. Um, I'll also give a Christian resource that's been amazing for me. So pay attention. We'll, we'll, I'll write those or give, you, give, the, <laughs> give those to you later so you can write them down if you want to study, if this rings a bell for you like it has for me. But the author um, of, of Healing the Codependent Heart, his name is Douglas Dauberful. He described that he says many times the codependent will reach out to others in order to prove how much others need the individual. The codependent person offers help and support, making great sacrifices and gives incessantly. He or she tries to save and fix others, often overextending himself or herself, only to end up feeling emotionally and physically exhausted. We give and give and give, but it's out of that desire to feel validated, not out of a direction that's necessarily coming from Christ saying, this is what I want you to do. It's we're driven to save and fix and, and serve so that we can build up our identity. That's my identity. That's who I am. This again can hide really deep um, under the surface. And so it took a while to be, help me to begin to see, you know, I, I grew up with that void that a lot of us feel. I mean, most of us kind of, it's, it's a fallen earth and we don't grow up in perfect families and there's things that we go through and, and sometimes we're just trying to survive and cope the best we can. And so my subconscious decided that having the approval and praise of others would fill that hole. And so codependency became a part of that. People pleasing became a part of that. In fact, that same author talks about um, the adversary, about how Satan um, really tweaks this in us. And, and deceives us into believing that this is a powerful way to live that can meet our needs. He says, you know, the devil's the author, director, and teacher of the fallen. He's the creative man, creator of many of our sufferings, the mastermind behind our childhood abuse. Knowing the psychologic, 
I'm having a hard time today, sorry. Psychology and biology of trauma. Satan works endlessly to wound us emotionally and mentally. He understands our earthly developmental process and seeks to disrupt and disrail it. And then what does the author of sin do, he says? He gives us the manual of how to manage, deal with, and control all our dysfunctional baggage. He sells us the medicine that will soothe our wounds, the very ones he gave us. He tells us how great we are because we did 25 hours of service in church this past weekend, even though we had to be away from our family. We get pats on the back. People laud us as the great workers in the congregation. So why does our spouse come to resent us and our children seem distant? Don't they know we are doing the work of the Lord? (laughs) Can you see how twisted this can get? The, The tough thing, and he goes into several pages on how codependency can masquerade as charity. And that's why it's so hard to see. If I was out there, oh, choosing to sin in a way that was very blatant, (laughs) having an affair in my marriage, or, you know, there's so many number of things that all of us recognize as sinful immediately as a coping mechanism that isn't working. But this one is so tricky because it feels like we're doing so much good. But under the surface, we're fueled often by our own coping mechanism, our own desire to use that service to make ourselves feel good. And when we are doing it for that reason, we've got to see that our motives are selfish. Again, I know that's painful to hear. Again, I've been working on this for 15 years and trying to, to really heal, get this healed and have the Lord's help with this because I never felt like I was being selfish. I felt like I was trying to help all that people, people pleasing I'm just trying to make people happy. I'm just trying to keep the peace. (laughs) But a lot of it was for my own benefit. Just so that I could feel uh, more grounded, more have an identity that I thought I was worthy in others' eyes. Or, you know, it can be really, really tricky. So he, he gives this list where he takes, again, this is Douglas Dauberful from Healing the Codependent Heart takes this list um, where he uses the scripture on charity from 1 Corinthians 13, where charity suffereth long and is kind and envieth not and is not puffed up and seeketh not her own. And he makes, puts the charity characteristics on one side and then he puts codependency. And I'll just give you a few um, examples, sorry, codependency on the other side so we can see how it masquerades. So for instance, charity um, suffereth long. And so we think, oh, you know, I'm very patient. I'm suffering this for out of charity, out of love for the Lord. But in reality, what it is is denial. I've stuffed my feelings. I've pushed them down. I'm, I'm people-pleasing. I'm not actually suffering long. I'm doing it in a twisted, codependent, people-pleaser way. But it looks on the outside like suffereth long, like charity. And so I can deceive myself into believing I'm doing it the right way. Um, charity is kind. It seems so easy to do, right? But he said in a codependent form, it's when you're enabling others, not holding them accountable, not placing boundaries or limits on others' behavior, doing things for them that they should and can do themselves. It, it, we're thinking, oh, I'm just being kind. No, I'm being codependent. Um, charity is not puffed up. But if I'm using my service to kind of quietly in my heart puff myself up because I outshine and outperform and outserve and outlive the gospel, I'm the righteous one, 
I am puffed up, but it's happening so deep in my subconscious that I don't recognize it because I'm just looking at my outward behavior and saying, but I'm such a good person. I'm really trying to help. I know this is tough. I know this is tough. Let me just give you a couple more. Charity seeketh not her own. Oh, this was me. Oh my gosh. I would have said, I'm never seeking my own. I'm, I'm the people pleaser. I'm always worried about others' needs. I'm always putting away my own needs for the sake of someone else. But he writes, uh, talks about it in a codependent way as you're being helpful and nice with a secret intent for the other person to meet your needs. So they'll give me the, the love and validation I'm looking for. I have an agenda for my service or I'm keeping the peace for my own selfish interest. So I'll feel more safe and so I'll feel more calm and I don't have to face confrontation. <laughs> I mean, what if Christ himself would have us handle that situation very differently? But we're so caught in our codependency or our people pleasing, caught in these dysfunctional dynamics that were, are happening so deep in our subconscious that we don't understand our motives. We don't see where they're coming from. But we can't be his true disciple because we're actually feel, fueled by this. Okay, so I just want you to chew on that for a minute. And what we really need to finish up with, um, the time's going quick as I'm talking about this. This could probably be a two-part, but I might try to just keep it to this one. And if you want to start study more on this, I'll tell you where to go. But the key for me is in what Christ says in that verse. What Jesus says to these people. I never knew you never knew you. How does knowing him change our service? On the outside, we may, once we come to know him, do just as much service as we were doing in our previous dysfunctional state, if you struggle with codependency or pleasing, people pleasing like I do. It's not that the level of service change. It may. It may. And, and, and at times it has for me. I've learned to say no for one. What changes isn't the outward, it's the inward motivation. What happened as I came to know him is number one most important thing for me is he began to fill that empty void in me that I was using the approval of others to fill. And his love began to fill that so full that I didn't need that um, desperate grab for others' validation anymore. That just kind of healed that in me so the the people pleasing started to fall away because he was the one that I wanted to please um and again that we can probably talk more about late about later we'll see how that goes with as the episodes unfold but this is the thing as I came to okay I want to know you and I want you to be the one directing my service so that you never look at me and say you never knew me like that was iniquity. That wasn't service. That was iniquity. I just thought, never, never, never. I don't ever want to be found in that state. And so what happened is I began to pray about this and ask for him to purify my intentions and purify my service so that it wasn't coming from a self-centered place of needing that validation and needing that praise and needing those, those inner needs to be met through others' smiles and others' approval. Two things happened. Number one, he taught me what, well, how to say yes and how to say no. So he taught me that when I could say yes, it would come through a prompting. And then I could know that I had his blessing, that I had his grace to attend me. I would be given the energy and strength to do that thing in a way that was pleasing to him. But also when he prompted me to say no, oh my gosh, I could get rid of the guilt because his 
voice was saying, JC, not this thing, not this thing. This one's not your stewardship. And I could move on past it without seeing that and thinking, oh, but I should help. I should help. It, it ended that for me. I can say no with an absolute clear conscience now because I know what is what he has put on my plate and what he hasn't. Um, this goes perfectly with an episode from, from season one, which is the shoulds part two. So if you haven't listened to that at all, or if you haven't listened to it in a while, I would tag team that episode with this one because really it builds on everything we're talking about here. And darn it, I thought I could, I thought I could make it so far, much farther with this in 20 minutes. I I didn't, I'm looking at my clock and my time is gone. And I do like to keep these episodes to the same general, um, time limit. If you want to study a little bit more on codependency, if you're LDS, Try Douglas Dauberful's book. Um, you can find it on Kindle version on Amazon. The one that I'd really, really recommend, no matter the denomination, if you are a Christian, believe in Christ, uh, Stephanie Tucker, The Christian Codependence Recovery Workbook. Christian Codependence Recovery Work Workbook. And then she has some other materials that go with that. She has some YouTube videos that go with that. They have been tremendous in my own personal recovery from this. This went so deep in me. This was formed in me at such a young age. It was so woven into my personality that when I truly first began to see it in myself and how often I was caught in this dynamic, it was almost debilitating because I thought I don't even know where to begin to be made new, to, to unravel this dynamic that is so deeply woven into my brain. It almost felt hopeless at first, but as the resources were brought and the time to study where I began to dig in and really learn how to set boundaries, to learn how to say no, to learn um, how to serve in a way that was fueled through my knowing Christ and being empowered by him, not through any guilt, not through any um, needy neediness or deep void that was fueling this need to be seen by others and praised by others for my righteousness. It changed the way that I talk about my service with others so that I'm not seeking to build myself up and everything began to shift. And let me just give you hope. If you're kind of seeing yourself a little bit in my words, there are some wonderful resources out there. There's, I also um, did a 12-step program kind of working through these things as well because it, it was so deep in me that I needed that support and those 12 um, beautiful steps as a way to kind of shift from the old me to the new me. And I'm still on that journey. <laughs> You'd think after 15 years, I'm done. I could tell you I'm fixed. <laughs> it's all good. And, and sometimes I am, but sometimes I can see it rise up in me. And so back to the workbook I go, or back to the scriptures I go, or back to my knees I go and say, help me. I saw that come out. I thought we'd kind of dealt with that. How, how am I going to, going to flip that? I hope this has been helpful. This whole series Again, I, I don't really know where I'm going with the rest of this, this season. Maybe I shouldn't admit that. But I'm trying to be so spirit-led. And a lot of times 
the topic for the next episode is born out of this one. And so we'll see where the Lord leads me this week. We may build, build on this or he may take me in a new direction. If you have questions, email me. I'm always happy to chat and just give, um, just give my experience and share with, with any who are wanting to walk the same road. Thanks so much for joining me today. Um, good luck and blessings on your journey to find a sound mind in Christ.